Our text is Psalm 88. It is a bleak text. There is nothing sadder than this in the whole book of Psalms. There is, in this text, no explicit confession of trust. There's no note of praise. There's no place where the text turns or the mood changes where the light dawns, like there is in the great majority of Psalms. And apart from the fact that the psalmist is praying... There is little, if any, hope. I want to look at four things from this text, which again, I remind you, is on the back of the bulletin. We won't be following the text in strict order, but the four things I want to look at are called the plea, the plight, the permanence, and the passion. The plea, the plight, the permanence, and the passion. So Psalm 88, first then the plea. The text here begins with its only positive note, if we want to call it that. The only line without anguish. Lord, you are the God who saves me. But by the end of the psalm, so relentless is the darkness that this line seems almost ironic. Day and night I cry out to you. The psalmist prays desperately. He prays continually, persistently. In verse 9, it's, I call to you, O Lord, every day I spread out my hands to you. In verse 13, it's, I cry for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes to you. Verse 2, may my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. Other than these pleas, Really, including these pleas, which have a kind of ring of hopeless pity about them, the psalm is pure lament. Pure lament. For these pleas are not being heard. Why, Lord, verse 14, do you reject me and hide your face from me? It's another instance of the cry of the suffering through the ages. How long, O Lord, how long? The basic plea of great swaths of human beings in misery. So that's the plea. The second thing is the plight. And by that I mean what has provoked these continually unanswered prayers. What's the plight? In short... The psalmist is dying, and he feels abandoned by God. And the prominence in the psalm of the shadow, the hovering shadow of death, it drowns everything else out. He's overwhelmed or saturated, some translations say, with troubles. His life draws near to death. And as you heard the psalm read, you realize that the psalmist runs out of grim metaphors to describe his plight. He speaks of despair, death, the pit, the grave, the lowest pit, the darkest depths, 
overwhelming waves of terror and wrath. He speaks of destruction, the place of darkness, the land of oblivion, and the floods. The dread, the nearness of death is so palpable that it's penetrated back into his life, making his life a living death. Making him a dead man walking. Or more accurately, a dead man moaning. He is already, the text says, counted among those who go down to the pit. He's already numbered with the departed. He's set apart, the text says, with the dead like the slain who are already lying in the grave. And what what makes his plight so grim? And what makes the silence with which his pleas are continually met so deafening? Is that this is, and he repeatedly puts it this way, this is God's doing. It's not at all clear, I think, that God is actually angry with the psalmist. But the psalmist certainly experiences his absence as dread and interprets it as wrath. And the text has this this series of alternating I, 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 followed by you, 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 where the you is God himself. God is the agent of the psalmist's dark night of the soul. God is the one who imposes it. Verse 6, you have put me, you have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavy on me. Again, he attributes his plight to God's wrath, but he's not aware in the psalm of any sin on his part or any reason why he's being subjected to this misery. And this affliction has high social costs. To God, he says in verse 8, You, you have taken from me my closest friends. You have made me repulsive to them. Verse 18, you have taken from me friend and neighbor. And thus, as his life drains away, ebbs away, there's this additional bitterness of loneliness. Even these basic human bonds have disintegrated. And in verse 18, he says, in one of the saddest things in all of Scripture, I think, the darkness is my closest friend. How horrific is that? The darkness is my closest friend. Forsaken by God and forsaken by man as well. In addition to this, now the Old Testament does not reveal the fullness of the New Testament hope for life after death. But it does express that hope in numerous places. But for the psalmist... That hope does not seem to exist at all. In verse 5, he says, He's like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you, O Lord, remember no more, who are cut off from your care. For him, death is the end. It's the end of life and light and hope. It's the realm of complete God-forsaken forgetfulness. 
And so he pleads with God to let him live. And this often happens with dying people. They go from praying to begging to pleading to bargaining. And now he, in a sense, appeals to God's own self-interest and asks him a series of heart-wrenching questions. Beginning in verse 10. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness and destruction? What profit, in other words, is it to you that I die? What praise, what glory do you get out of it? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Or are your righteous deeds known in the land of oblivion? And to all these questions, to all of them, the implied answer is no, they are not. Death is the end. That is the plight. The third point is the persistence. The persistence of this, this raining of blows on the psalmist has been persistent and unremitting, just as persistent as all of his unanswered prayers. He looks back over his fading life in verse 15, and he says this, From my youth, from my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. The darkness has followed him for decades. And looking back, he finds no solace. He looks up to God. He says, I've borne your terrors. I have borne your terrors. That's my life story. And I am now in despair. The persistence here is important. The uh, the persistence of this alienation from the light of God's face. It crosses years. And it covers the hours of his days. Verse 17. All Day long, not only from my youth, but today, all day long, your terrors surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. Virtually alone among the Psalms, this one begins in darkness, ends in darkness. Darkness, in fact, is the last word in the Hebrew text. In English, it's the darkness is my closest friend. But darkness is at the end of the sentence. Now, that's the first three points. Before we get to the final point, I want to say a word in defense of this text being in Holy Scripture. This is Good Friday, and it is good that this text exists. It's good because its brutal honesty rings true to the experience of a great many people. It's good because it says things that pretty nice civil Christian people don't say out loud. And that need to be said. It is true to the experience of many people, many believing people, many good people, many faithful people like the psalmist. It is indeed possible to live in unrelieved darkness and suffering without, as here, it being connected to sin or without ever even understanding it. It happens to God's people. It happens 
to human beings. And that living death can be used under the hand of God in unforeseen ways. Notice this, the psalmist, if you look at the title of this psalm in an English Bible, you'll see that the psalmist was a son of Korah, meaning he was a member of the Temple Guild of Singers. He left us this song and almost certainly left or contributed to numerous other songs. Yet he himself, he himself remained in the darkness. The absence of a happy ending, or as here, a happy middle or a happy beginning, is the common lot of mankind. And it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that either God or the believer are defeated. And it does not, appearances to the contrary notwithstanding, it does not mean that the believer is forsaken. The psalmist is a believer in the covenant community. Another member of the church who lived their own version of Psalm 88, wrote this. In the darkness, Lord my God, who am I that you should forsake me? The child of your love, and now become as the most hated one. The one you have thrown away as unwanted, unloved. I call. I cling, I want, and there is no one to answer. Where I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such emptiness that those very thoughts return like sharp knives and hurt my very soul. Love, the word, it brings nothing. I am told God lives in me, and yet the reality of darkness And coldness and emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. Pray for me that I may not turn a Judas to Jesus in this painful darkness. That from the diaries of Mother Teresa. The posthumously revealed diaries. She who after an initial experience of Jesus calling her to serve the poor, with the exception of a couple of weeks, experienced that darkness without interruption for some 50 straight years. Sometimes, mysteriously, obedience itself leads into the heart of this darkness. Sometimes the darkness just descends and you don't know why. There's an extraordinary passage in Isaiah chapter 50 which says this. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. These From this Isaiah 50 text, these are those who fear the Lord. 
who are obedient to the Messiah, to his servant, and who nevertheless walk in darkness and have no light. Perhaps you are one of them. They're called here simply to trust. And Isaiah continues, and he speaks to these people. He speaks to you and me, if we're in this number. He says this, But now, all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go, walk in the light of your fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. In other words, don't try and kindle a false light because it is the Lord who has called you into the darkness. Because he's Lord of the darkness, that means you cannot manufacture a happy ending. Doing so, no matter how pious the intention is fraudulent, the light comes when God gives the light. And so Isaiah says, you trust the Lord. You're obedient to the Lord. You are walking in darkness without light. Don't try to kindle light. Finally then, the last point is the passion. And by that, I mean our Lord's passion, his suffering. This is a Good Friday psalm. And Good Friday is good because Jesus enters the darkness of this psalm. This is where he goes. This is space he inhabits. His own version of it is documented in the first half of Psalm 22. Found on his lips as he suffered in anguish that first Good Friday. Familiar, I'm sure, to many of you. There on the cross, he cries day and night, he says. He's encircled. He's cut off from friends. And the waves of death and dread, they wash over him. The man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, afflicted. There he meets the silence of God, who is far away from saving him. There he's mangled and lacerated and his vitality is draining away and darkness is descending on the land and he stands there with every sinner, with every one of his people ever engulfed in the darkness of Psalm 88. There he bears, not, just, not like the psalmist who thought his abandonment was God's wrath, There Jesus bears the fullness of God's wrath, which is due to us. Like our opening hymn says, the deepest stroke was the stroke that justice gave. There, in our frailty, God in the flesh cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is God accusing God of forsaking him. There Jesus enters this terror of this psalm. And it's important to see this. He saves us from inside the darkness, underneath the agony, at the bottom of the trauma that is Psalm 88. That's where he's found. Dying, he destroys our death. And because of his innocence... This one cannot be held in death. 
And so his dying does something that the psalmist's affliction cannot do. It transforms the questions of this text. Here's how we read them now. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Indeed you do. Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Yes, they shall. Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness in destruction? Destruction and the grave are themselves destroyed by this dying love and faithfulness. Are your wonders known in the place of darkness and your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? Yes, my wonders are declared to the ends of the earth. Jesus is, perhaps contrary to all your sense experience, under, in, and with you in the dark night, or the dark season, or the dark decade, or the dark lifetime of Psalm 88. Let those who walk in darkness and have no light take heart. Trust in the Lord. Let us kindle no self-made fire, for his cries were answered. And that answer is the breaking of the divine silence. And God has given light, light which we cannot kindle. And the light of the resurrection shatters all the darkness. It hallows the grave. It banishes all the terrors of the world. Amen. Praise be to God.